Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air. Go ahead. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground, won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground, and I won't back down. Alright, welcome to a special edition of Nowhere to Run. We're joined here uh, with our guest, David Lowe. And we also have with us Amos from the Revelations Radio Network. And we're going to be um, uh, talking with David about his uh, research and, and his book, Earthquake Resurrection. So, uh, David, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. Doing pretty good. Nice to talk with you today. Good, good. Amos, how are you doing? I'm doing good. All right. That sounds like we can hear everybody fine. Um Okay, David, well, let's just get started uh, really getting into um, the details of your book and um, where to logically start is uh, an interesting question in itself. Where, um, where would you start? What is the, what is the, uh, main, the main thrust of the, of the research, would you say? Well, I think a good place to start would be uh, sort of my background. I came from a background of understanding how things in the future were going to happen under the dispensational kind of teaching in, in an Assembly of God church where, <clears throat> you know, the uh, kind of the Hal Lindsey and the Tim LaHaye sort of future is what I was taught and what I was, uh, what I was led to believe was, was the way things were going to happen. And as, as you, as anyone, I think, begins to look at scriptures and to actually compare scripture with scripture and get into the deeper things and the mysteries, um, I think the dispensation, the traditional dispensational views of how things are going to take place, uh, fall short. And I, I, you know, when I started to look at, at things like this, um, the problems started popping up in my head, and uh, I guess my my research and my books were led. Um, were, were written in order to kind of address some of those problems that I was seeing, um, not to totally discount the, you know, the premillennial view that I was brought up studying and learning, but to try to fill in some of the holes that I thought were there. So uh, one of the things that uh, in my in my recent study after the events of September 11. Um, I was led into a really deeper study of the scriptures and one of the things that I found very interesting was um, there's a connection between uh, resurrections to immor in, into immortal bodies and earthquakes and a shaking of the earth. And when you really probe into that and, and dig into it, um, that's what happened with my books, and that's the that's the reason I wrote the books was because I thought I'd seen something that 
uh, was very interesting that people had not been writing about and had not been studying. So, well, well, let's uh, let's expand on that a little bit before we move much further. Let's let's look into the details and the places where it, where it occurs and so on. Okay. Well, the uh, obviously the first place that everyone looks is First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen, and First Corinthians fifteen. 51 and 52 where <clears throat> it talks about a resurrection of the dead in Christ and this is a future event that Paul described and he gave us some clues about what's going to happen when this event occurs um, now in First Thessalonians 4 he gives an additional clue that there's going to be a catching up of living believers after the resurrection of the dead so what we need to do is kind of look at uh, what clues did Paul give us about what's going to happen uh, in coinciding with this future resurrection of the dead into immortal bodies? And what he said was, there's going to be, first in 1 Corinthians, he said, at the last trumpet, at the sounding of a last trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to be raised. And then when you compare that with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, the, lo the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God so you have a corroboration there between the la there's going to be a last trumpet and a trumpet of God preceding a resurrection of the dead in Christ because it goes on to say and the dead in Christ will rise first then we which are alive and remain etc so that trumpet the last trumpet and the trumpet of God was something that I began pursuing to try to understand what exactly and since Paul connected those two things in those, in those two separate letters, what can we learn about the last trumpet? What can we learn about this thing called the trumpet of God? And that's, that's one area that we can pursue. Another area that we can pursue is can we look at in the New Testament when there was, an, when there was a description of a resurrection from the dead into an immoral body? What happened? what else occurred with those resurrections. Now, we're not talking about a resurrection such as Lazarus. We're not talking about a resurrection back into a mortal body where that person dies. Their body does not decompose. It, uh, it still remains. And all that happens in a resurrection back into a mortal body is that the spirit returns to that person's body. And there's not a transformation of their body uh, such as what happened with Jesus, where his body, his, his he was resurrected into a glorified body, um, such as with the raising of Jairus' daughter in in the book of Luke, the scripture says that her spirit returned, and really that's that's what happens in in a resurrection to a mortal body. And there's, I believe, nine uh, descriptions of that throughout the Bible. And that's really not what we're talking about. We're talking about resurrection into an immortal body where there's a transformation into a glorified state that takes place of course we have the resurrection of Jesus um, that describes that immortal body and then we also have um, the many saints in Matthew chapter 27 a group of people about which very little is known other than the fact that after Jesus came out of the grave and was resurrected there were many saints who also came out of their graves 
and appeared in the city of Jerusalem to many people. That's really all we know about it. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. It seems like that gets overlooked so much. Um, I know, it, um, but it's really interesting. <clears throat> let's explore that, uh, and then ex- let's explore explore the uh, the uh, earthquakes with those that have, as you were going to, no doubt, the earthquakes with the immortal bodies and those events. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we get to those many saints, the other description of a resurrection into immortal bodies, I believe, is in the future with the resurrection of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Um, it states that they lied in the streets dead for three and a half days, uh, the, the streets of Jerusalem, and then they were called up, they were resurrection and called up and went up into the air. And so, in my opinion, that is a resurrection into an immortal body where they're going to be caught up into heaven. Now, in each of the cases, um, even with the two witnesses, there's a shaking of the earth or an earthquake that coincides with the resurrection. In, in the case of the two witnesses, it says that immediately after this, there was an earthquake that killed uh, 7,000 people, and one-tenth of the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by it. And then we go back to the case of the resurrection of Jesus, and it states that, uh, just reading from the book of Matthew, the, the earth shook and the rocks split apart, and the tombs came open, and many of the saints that had died came out, uh, rose from the dead. They came up out after Jesus' resurrection and went into the city and appeared to many people. So... Um, we have the earth shaking, we have the rock splitting, and we have the tombs coming open as a result, I believe, of the power of the resurrection into the mortal body. Um, you know, some people want to say that the many saints came out, were resurrected um, when, the, when there was an earthquake at the time Jesus died. Right at the moment Jesus died, they try to say, well, there was an earth shake, earthquake and, and a shaking uh, causing the veil to be torn. And people were running, running away in fear, you know, because the earth was dark and everything was shaking. It's, it's kind of what we see in the movie The Passion. But I don't think this is accurate at all because the writer of the book of John, who was present, who was an eyewitness at the cross, uh, didn't describe any earthquake at the time Jesus died. Didn't describe any, any kind of people running around um, in, in fear of an earthquake, in fear of a shaking, and didn't describe any any tombs coming open or anything like that. It's only Matthew that describes this. Now, the other writers do describe the, the shaking, but only Matthew describes the many saints coming out. So, unless the the shaking of the earth uh, did not cause the tombs to come open, then their, their tombs had to come open after the resurrection and at the time of the resurrection. And I believe that the power of Jesus' resurrection and the power that was on display when he was resurrected into an immortal body caused the shaking and caused also these many saints to be to be raised with him into immortal bodies. Yeah, let's uh, let's read uh, that passage in Matthew 27 of what Matthew does there because it is interesting the way he words that. I think uh, just to just to if there's any confusion about that issue, let's let's just just read that to to hear what he says. Okay. Uh, do you have it there? I, I don't. Do you, I, I, do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I just need to find it here. Okay, uh, starting with Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. 
The earth shook, and the rocks were split apart, and, the t and tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. They came out of the tombs after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to many people. Now when Jesus... I'm sorry. Now when the centurion and those who were with him, guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were extremely terrified and said, Truly, this one was God's son. Yeah, it's just interesting because that's all in the context of him being crucified. But then he says after his resurrection there, which is mm -hmm. interesting. He seems to, yeah, he seems to place the context of what he's describing as the time of the resurrection, not necessarily the time of the death. And really it makes no sense for these many saints to be raised at the time of his death because the verse says they came out of the tombs after his resurrection. So if they were raised at the time he died, did they just stay in their tombs for three days? You know, while Jesus was, was dead in the grave, did they get raised at that time, but just kind of stayed there and then only came out of their tombs after his resurrection? Right, because that, that, yeah, he had to be the first. That's right, he had to be the first. That does harm to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Well, Paul didn't mean the resurrection into a, into a mortal body. Because there were many people raised from the dead prior to Jesus, back into mortal bodies, such as Lazarus and some of the others in the Old Testament. But what Paul had to be talking about was the resurrection into an immortal body where there's a transformation. And so these many had to be raised after Jesus' resurrection in order for that to be um, for that to still be a valid point by Paul. So yeah, it is very mysterious, very interesting uh, thing that takes place. Amos, go ahead. Yeah, the, um, the the trump of God. Um, I know that you um, you differentiate the uh, angels' trumpets uh, from God's the trump of God. Um, do you believe that the uh, trumpets that were given uh, from Revelation eight two it says, um, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Um, do you? Do you believe the uh, trumpets from the angels are different than the trump of God? Would the, would the, in other words, would the trumpets that were given to the angels be considered a trump of God since they were given by God? Uh, no, I, I do not agree with that position at all. Uh, first of all, Paul's revelation of the last trump or the trumpet of God was given to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians long before uh, the book of Revelation was written. Now, I'm not saying that Paul couldn't be given, you know, the revelation of the the seven angels and, and what takes place in Revelation, but uh, it just makes more sense that the last trumpet and the trumpet of God that he was referring to was something that he was familiar with and was something that was not referring to something that takes place in the future. But uh, I think the strongest reason that I believe that they're not the same is kind of what you touched on. These are not these trumpets that these angels are given in, in Revelation are not the trumpet of God. They are, they are trumpets given to them, yes, by God, but they are blown by angels. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in each case it says that the trumpet is blown by the first angel, the second angel, etc. But what we have in, in Paul's description is the last trump and the trumpet of God, which I equate because we have a resurrection of the dead in Christ taking place. So I think... He's talking about the same thing when he says the last trump and the yeah. trumpet of God. Yeah, so, I agree. I think they're both. A, I, I think the uh, 1551 and the uh, uh, 
Thessalonians was a four sixteen, I think. Um, I I agree they go together. I always thought that the uh, trump that he was talking about was the the last trumpet in Revelation because and I've had this this discussion with people before and I've seen uh, I've, uh, both views, but since the whole of Scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It, it really wouldn't matter if Paul knew about what was coming in Revelation, would it, since it was given by inspiration by God? Right. And Yeah, that, that's a good point. David, if you, if you want to develop that, I remember hearing you saying something, the connections that you made with the trumpet of God as a with a capital T. Um, uh, if you could develop some of that a little bit, when, when, in, when it was first used and that, that kind of thing, I think it was interesting. Yeah, no problem. Um, that's kind of what I did in my second book, uh, Then His Voice Shook the Earth, um, looking at really a detailed study of what is the trumpet of God and, and how would Paul understand it. And I kind of start out with um, a mysterious trip that Paul takes um, to Arabia and why he would have taken a trip to Arabia, what, what is in Arabia that attracted him to go there after his conversion. An interesting and, subject. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in that first chapter of my book, I kind of kicked that off with some ideas of why he would have gone in, in, into that section of, the, of the, uh, the earth from where he was, which was Damascus when he was um, converted. And I believe that one thing he touches on in the book of Galatians, where, where he first states uh, that he did go to Arabia, which is there in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he goes on to say that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. And what is what is Arabia? Well, a lot of people think, you know, it's it, you know, it could be sections of you know, the, the Sinai Peninsula rather than what is now considered modern-day Saudi Arabia on the other side of the Red Sea there. Um, but uh, there's good evidence that the Mount, that Mount Sinai is actually in modern-day Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's that's a whole other subject we could touch on. Is that like his desert experience, Dave? Yeah, that's kind of what I get into. That uh, he was kind of following in the footsteps of Elijah when he went uh, from from Damascus to Mount Sinai, or yeah, when when he actually Elijah went from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, and he got he got a new prophetic commission from the Lord in Mount Sinai, where he actually you know he went into the cleft of the rock and. The Lord visited him there. Well, I think Paul, who was, who was so zealous after God that he was killing Christians, that he was killing people who he considered to be, uh, you know, worshiping another God, worshiping someone that was not the true God of Israel, that he thought that so strongly that he led them away into prison. He, and he's, you know, death. And so well, that's what that's what Jesus said to him. Why are you... Why are you persecuting me? You know, Jesus said when when he visited Saul on the road to Damascus, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, that, that's exactly what he was doing. And he he thought he was actually um, doing what the true God wanted him to do. Well, he he went to Mount Sinai, I believe, and he he did go to Arabia, and where I believe he, he went is Mount Sinai, and I believe that there is where he actually met with Jesus Christ. You know, twice. Christ in his epistles, Jesus said he actually met Jesus Christ, not um, not in a spiritual form, but actually I believe in a physical form. 
he states, uh, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he actually says, last of all, he appeared to me also. Mm, yeah, that's right. So, you know. You don't think so, that's the uh, vision that he wasn't, that he he might have been speaking about the vision there? The vision there on the road to Damascus? The vision, yeah, on the road to Damascus. You don't think yeah. that's a reference to that? I really don't think so because according even to his own recollection of the event in Acts, he says he was blinded. Now, how yeah. can somebody who's blind claim to, to say, oh, Jesus appeared to me? Yeah, that's say, true. Well, well, Paul, you were blind. How can you make a claim like that? So I believe that pretty much the, the book of Acts chapter 9 is a good description of what happened there and that he actually, Jesus Christ appeared to him uh, and actually gave him the revelation of the mysteries that he talks about in his epistles over and over. You know, he's, he says, I received the, my revelation directly from Jesus Christ, whereas these other apostles, you know, received them. Uh, what, what does he say there in Galatians chapter 1? Um, pardon me while I, while I look at that. Um, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin, for I did not receive it or learn it from any human source. Instead, I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. So that, that, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing right there. Well, let's kind of get into to what I believe uh, is the last trumpet, the trumpet of God. And, um, I, again, I believe that uh, this revelation was given to him at Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it's there where we can look back through history and, and get a good answer for what is the trumpet of God. And it takes us back to Exodus chapter 19 and, and the time just before the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Because if you read those descriptions, you will see over and over again that there's a reference to a voice of the trumpet exceeding loud that shakes the mountainside and causes the people to be in great fear. Even Moses himself says, I exceedingly, I exceedingly fear and quake and shake. So uh, it says here, that, and it says all throughout the Old Testament when, when recollecting upon what happened there at Mount Sinai, the, pro, uh, the prophet David says in the psalm that... Um, when you went forth before the people in the wilderness, the earth shook and the heavens dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Psalm 68. Um, again, in, in verses 18 and 19 of Exodus chapter 19, where this whole scene is being laid out, it says, Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the fire thereof, and the smoke thereof, ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder Moses spake and God answered him by a voice so it's kind of this background that I started looking at okay well I think maybe that the trumpet of God is actually his voice his voice that shook yeah. the earth you know that that makes more sense than maybe a, a trumpet in, in Revelation where it's talking about the seven trumpets and, and the seventh trumpet is actually that last trumpet or the trumpet of God that Paul was referring to. Yeah, there's even well, a reference about speaking uh, in what is it, Revelation 4 where he says, I heard a voice speaking behind me that sounded like a trumpet. That's right. Yeah, in Revelation 1 and 4 actually John says that he heard a voice that sounded like a trumpet it caused him to mm -hmm. turn around. So there's that wow, connection well, again. Yeah, well, there's an, another connection in the New Testament. Yeah. 
Well, that led me then to Hebrews chapter 12, which is an inter interesting passage in which the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, I don't want to go into that, but yeah. um, <laughs> but um, there in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer is um, recounting again what happened at Mount Sinai. And let's see, he says um, in that passage, he's talking about the, the voice of the trumpet again and how the people were in fear and just shaking when they heard this trumpet sound. Let me go ahead and read it, if you guys don't mind here, where he says, um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses... I think it's 18. Yeah. 18. Right. For you have not come to something that can be touched, to a burning fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind, and the blast of a trumpet and voice uttering words, such that those who heard begged to hear no more, for they could not bear what was commanded, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. In fact, the scene was so terrifying that Moses said, I shudder with fear. So there's kind of Paul's uh, rendition of, of what we as Christians have not come to, something that can't be touched. Now, if we skip down to verse 26, this is the key, and this is what really opened my eyes, where the writer says, Then his voice shook the earth. Well, what is he referring to when he says then? Well, he's talking about, he's contrasting again, then and now. He's talking about then, on Mount Sinai, God's voice shook the earth. I think that's pretty clear from Exodus 19 and from this passage here, that, that Paul makes it clear here. What shook the earth in was his voice. And now he's promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven too. So th then I started to pick up, okay, what is the once more that Paul is referring to well it's a quotation from the book of Haggai where it says once more I will shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land and so I thought well perhaps that this once more is actually a reference to the last the last time something's going to happen the last time God's voice will shake the earth and that's what I came to the conclusion that perhaps the last trumpet or the trumpet of God is a reference to this one time, this last time, when his voice will shake the earth. Yeah, it's an interesting connection. Um, one thing uh, would be interesting if we, once we develop that is uh, uh, this last, that, that last point is the um, sixth seal and the interesting connections between the uh, the sun becoming as black as sackcloth and also the stars of heaven uh, unto earth the, the heaven shaking and the connection between what would said would happen when the next time the heavens would shake and, and that, that thing if you could develop that a little bit whenever you're ready yeah absolutely that's that's where this leads is, is to the description of the sixth seal um, before I go there though what what does all this mean? What what is the um, implications of this? If there's going to be a shaking at the future resurrection of the dead, if there's going to be such power that's on display, as was on display with, with the resurrection of Jesus, and I think the implication is, we know that there are millions, perhaps billions of people, who have died in Christ, who are going to be part of the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And they're buried all throughout the world. Perhaps there's some in the sea, there's some 
you know, in America. They're in. They're all throughout. And what is what is going to happen to the earth? What are the implications of multiplying what happened to Jesus and the many saints and the two witnesses, and multiplying that to something that's going to take place in the future all over the face of the earth? And I believe that a shaking of the earth, the entire earth, and a, sh a quaking and the reverberation of the power of God and and in concert with his voice shaking the earth is going to result in a catastrophic event at the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Now that's something that I don't think any Christians have really been taught to think about. They think of, well, the rapture and the resurrection of the dead is going to be a glorious time for those who are in Christ and who are members of the body of Christ, and it will be. But what is going to happen to the earth? What is what is going to be the supernatural what is going to be the natural ramifications of something so supernatural and powerful happening on the earth and that's I think the question we have to ask and and so when we look at Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 through 14 we see a description of the sixth seal the first thing that is mentioned there I find very interesting when the lamb opens the sixth seal is a huge earthquake takes place so there's another reference to an earthquake when when this sixth seal is open. Could this earthquake perhaps be the earthquake of uh, the resurrection of the dead in Christ? And I believe that it is. There's also a reference to the sun becoming as black as sackcloth of hair and the moon becoming blood red. This is a quotation from Joel chapter 3 where it says the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord takes place. And we know that that takes place after the resurrection and the dead in Christ and the catching up. And then, as you mentioned, Chris, we have the stars falling to the earth, um, and we have the sky being, being split apart, and every mountain and island being moved from its place. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, this isn't really literally going to happen. This is just symbolic. This is the way the prophets spoke in the Old Testament, and, and it wasn't really uh, literal, it was symbolic. But it's interesting the, the way the people react to the opening of the sixth seal in verses 15 through 17. They um, go to hide in the rocks, and they, they try to hide themselves from the wrath, and they say, who can save us from the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God? So they seem to, to react like it's actual, literal, physical things happening on the earth that, that actually every mountain and island is going to move from its place, and there's going to be a huge earthquake that, take, that takes place. I have a question for you, David. Um, sure. I was just looking at our Revelation 16. Um, it's interesting that the seventh angel, uh, it says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. It says, There came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth, so tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. Um, that seems like a pretty huge earthquake, too. Uh, it talks about God remembering Babylon the great and the cities of the nations collapsed. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you have any commentary on that uh, in conjunction with the sixth seal? Because they seem like 
both like pretty huge earthquakes when he's talking about the cities of the nations uh, collapsing. Mm-hmm. Now, are you uh, are you suggesting that perhaps the sixth seal and the, that last uh, bowl there are are talking about the same event? I, I don't know. They do seem similar, but I, I really don't know. I was wondering if you had any commentary on that. Yeah, um, I believe that the trumpets and the bowls um, are completely separate from the seals because you have to have the opening of the seventh seal in order for the any of the trumpets to be blown. Yeah, See, isn't it like telescopic, how, how, how they take place, like... The seventh seal opens the uh, the trumpets, and then the last trumpet or something opens the bowl judgments. Yes, that's the way I read it. And okay. because of that, I, I don't believe that they can be synonymous in talking about the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I believe that what's contained in that scroll that is sealed with seven seals is the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. That's what's in that scroll. And the wrath of God is made up of what? It's made up of the trumpets and the bowl judgments. I don't believe the seals have anything to do with the wrath of God. The seals seal up the wrath of God until that the last seal is open, and then that scroll can be opened. What's written on the front and back of that scroll? I believe the judgments that have that have been pronounced, the wrath of God that has been foretold, you know, for centuries, is yeah. what is written on that scroll. And so you have to have the opening of all seven of the seals in order for that to take place. So yeah, I, I don't agree with those who, who would say that um, that the seals are synonymous with that. You know, I've, I've, uh, heard the, uh, I've heard some people uh, describe the seals as the knowledge of events, since it talks about the uh, seal of God in their forehead, which is your mind, and mm-hmm. the, um, that the seals are actually describing the understanding of the events. And the the uh, I don't know if I agree with that or not. It, it seems to make a little bit of sense. But mm-hmm. uh, have you ever heard anybody uh, speaking about that? I haven't. That's the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah. But but I th- the problem with that is I think the seal on the forehead of the people is uh, something very very different than the seal that is on the scroll. Okay. Uh, you know I I tend to believe that there is actually a, a scroll a literal scroll and that Jesus was given that. Uh, scroll that is sealed with seven seals um, when he ascended back in the first century. So, uh, David, if we if we could go on to a little bit more <clears throat> about the sixth seal and some of the other evidences that that is where the resurrection of the dead is. I was just reading on a little bit, and there just seems so many places that it does it does fit that that is where the resurrection of the dead is. Um, What's the significance of the 144,000 after that and the uh, the multitude standing before the throne? Maybe we can go into that, and if does that have anything to do with the resurrection of the dead at that seal? Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, quite a bit to cover there. But yeah, um, one thing I wanted to point out was Isaiah chapter 26. Um, there's an interesting reference to a resurrection of the dead. And I kind of like to read that right here, where in, in verses 19 through 21 of Isaiah 26, it says, Your dead will come back to life, your corpses will rise up, wake up, and shout joyfully, you who live in the ground. For you will grow like plants drenched with the morning dew, and the earth will bring forth its dead spirits. 
So I believe that that's talking about a resurrection clearly right there when, when it says your dead will come back to life. Obviously, there's a resurrection right there. Well, the next verse is very interesting as well because it says, Go, my people, enter your inner rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while until his angry judgment is over. For look, the Lord is coming out of the place where he lives to punish the sin of those who live on the earth. The earth will display the bloodshed on it. It will no longer cover up its slain. So just just after this resurrection of the dead is a command for, for God's people, my people, to enter into some kind of chambers or inner rooms where they're protected. They're told to hide for a little while until the wrath of God or his angry judgment is over with. So I believe that this is something in context with something that's going to take place in the future, a future... The future wrath of God, and I believe it's actually the wrath of God that is prophesied, that is, is part of the trumpet and bold judgments. And so what does it say here? It says there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, then some kind of catching up or hiding away while his, his judgment is going on. And then chapter 27, verse 1 kind of gives you a context. It says, at that time the Lord will punish with his destructive great powerful sword Leviathan, fast-moving servant, Leviathan, the squirming serpent, he'll kill the sea monster. So I, I believe that reference there is, is a reference to you know, Leviathan, the beast, the time when the Lord is going to crush the beast and destroy him, which is described later in the book of Revelation. So that's kind of just a context of when I believe that verses, chapter 26, the, the ending verses there apply. Um, some people try to apply that to an ancient time, but I believe clearly that it's talking about a future resurrection of the dead when there's going to be God's people coming out and uh, then wrath taking place by the Lord and that's that's where it all ties in with the sixth seal you have the earthquake you have the blood red moon you have the, the darkened sun and then you have a time when there's a, there's a, a period between the sixth and the seventh seal you talked about Chris there's this group that stands before the throne a group of an enormous group of people that uh, no man can number that is standing before the throne and this is actually a perfect place for the resurrected church and, and those who are caught up to, to be pictured in Revelation because if the resurrection and the, and the catching up takes place there within the sixth seal we would expect heaven to be populated then after that with that group and here I believe they're described in Revelation chapter 7 an enormous group coming out of every nation tribe kindred and the one of the 24 elders describes them as coming out of great tribulation um, coming out of a great philipsis in Greek the word is which, which can be anguish persecution suffering a great time of suffering on the earth and they were taken out of that and uh, this group is actually described with all of the traits that uh, any any Christian should have and any Christian will look forward to uh, they will no, be, no more tears uh, they will be with the Lord um, and all the things that, that those those that enormous group is described with are all things that Christians will look forward to so I believe it is clear that this enormous group is the resurrected church the and the caught up church when that is obviously in uh, contrast with what 
this group has traditionally been described as uh, tribulation martyrs. You know, they come out of the great tribulation and, and they were killed by the beast. And, and this enormous group is actually a great harvest of souls that takes place during uh, the great tribulation, you know, the, the final seven years. But, That's but really, the, yeah, really, this, this makes no sense. It's something you just said there, uh, I keyed in when you were talking about in Isaiah 26, uh, mm -hmm. talking about the rooms, go hide away in the rooms. For some reason, it just, uh, the word chamber came into my head here. So I looked it up, and here's something interesting in Joel chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, uh, below the trumpet in Zion, there's a mention of a trumpet, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly. He does say that he'll gather us up one by one and that the angels gather from the four winds. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. So I don't know if that connects in some way, but it, there's a mention of a trumpet. And uh, if I remember studying somewhere, I know the uh, the bride enters into the, uh, the bridegroom chamber. So I wonder if that's a reference to that. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. that could be. I hadn't made that connection. That's really interesting. Actually, I think I'd like to say there. I, I when I was thinking about this, that I think it. Where is that found, Amos? It's uh, Joel, uh, Joel chapter two, fifteen and sixteen. Okay. Um, well, I'll just I'll just hold off on what I was about to say there. But let me let me ask this. Uh, um, Oh, staying in between the sixth and the seventh seal, um, and it does talk about in between those. It does talk about the the um, the, the multitude, the great multitude. But it also, as you were saying, I, I guess when you were saying to those that would be hid in the day of the Lord, is that hundred forty four thousand? Are they then the uh, Jewish people who wouldn't have been um, uh, raptured, or would are they? Are they sealed because they are to actually go through wrath because of their nature? Is that is that what we're saying? Well, the 144,000 is is something that's pretty mysterious to me. Um, I had always taken literally the 144,000 because they are broken up into 12,000 groups. Uh, sorry, 12 groups of 12,000 people and. A name of one of the sons of Jacob is described as who they are descended from and who they belong to. And so my understanding is that they actually are the children of people who are descended from the children of Israel. And the seal, yeah, the seal that is on their head is, some, is something that they are protected, given to protect them from what takes place on the earth. Uh, something that I wrote in my book, Earthquake Resurrection, is that there's a possibility that these 144,000 are actually the many saints that Jesus, that were raised when Jesus rose from the dead that we talked about earlier. Uh, and I, I kind of described that in chapter 16 of Earthquake Resurrection, but, um, you know, it's it's just really strange that if this is referring to a group in the future and not to something, you know, back in 70 A.D., which is what a lot of people try to connect this to, a, a lot of preterists, that is, um, you know, how how can in this day and age there be 12,000 people that come from, you know, all of these Reuben and all of these sons of Jacob, and you know, people try to 
to say, well, um, there's a movement now on now in Israel for people to trace their lineage, you know, all the way back, and to know which tribe they were from. You know, but really, uh, and the more I think about it, the more that that view really doesn't hold water to me. So yeah, I believe that the the 144,000 is really a mystery, but as you can see, in their first fruits. Yeah, it does say that they're first fruits. They're first fruits. Is that fruits. the early rains or the latter rains, though? Right, and that's what you know. Preters try to say, well, first fruits there means they are the first Jews that came into, um, you know, the church there in, in Acts, which is described in the Book of Acts, and you know, the apostles and the disciples and all those, and that you know, the one hundred forty-four thousand shouldn't be taken literally, you know, but. To me, it, it really should be taken literally because there's a lot of pains taken to, to say, hey, there's 12,000 from this group, 12,000 from this, 12,000 from this. So, um, I, you know, my personal view now is that the, 12, 000, the, the 144,000 will be a group in the future, a group of the children of Israel that uh, have some kind of a function, a, a testimony that they give on the earth in the future. And... I don't believe that they're alive now. I believe that somehow there's going to be a group of of these children of Israel. Perhaps they are the many saints that were raised, and they are brought back to the earth for a specific purpose. I mean, what what is the purpose of those many saints that were raised? You know, there's got to be a purpose for that. Yeah, I've often wondered that. that as well. It's, yeah, a, it's I mean, always been a mystery to me. Like, mm-hmm. why did why was that resurrection there? And why did and, that happen? Uh, and yeah. Perhaps. Well, do you believe that was God's voice raising them at that time with the earthquake? And uh... I, no, I, I, I don't believe that the voice, the trumpet of God was was present at that time. I just believe that um, His power in raising Jesus and those many saints was on display. But I believe uh, that that the first time His voice shook the earth was at Mount Sinai, just like Paul said. Then His voice shook the earth, and then once more. It's going to shake both the earth and the heavens, and that's going to be at the resurrection of the dead in Christ, I believe. What do, what do you think is going to shake in the heavens? Why do you think he added the heavens there? Well, I think that is just a, a function of the power, kind of the electrical it, m- you know, magnetic Do you think it might be the hierarchy of the principalities and powers, maybe? Well, I, yeah, it could be. Let, let me uh, interject there on that note, because that... <laughs> That's one point that I was uh, impressed on it, about the sixth seal is because of it was said, and once more it will shake not just the earth but the heavens. But here, in, um, when we're talking about the sixth seal, in verse, uh, let's just read from verse 13. When he, well, this is right after he got done saying, you know, and the sun became as black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So, if it's saying that the stars of heaven fell like a fig tree casts its untimely figs when you would shake a fig tree, that, that to me sounds like the heaven is getting shaken there. That's a picture of heaven being shaken. What, Why or what, I don't know, but it seems to me that that's what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. And Jesus also, Jesus also made a ref- an interesting reference when he said the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, in the future, I believe that was probably Luke seventeen or twenty one. But the reference to the stars, though, it's usually stars mm-hmm. are in reference to like angels or messengers. And one of the problems I always have when I'm reading 
is I'm not completely uh, into interpreting everything spiritual, but some things are, you know, and right. and uh, it talks about, you know, the the didn't didn't he say to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then it says, and the stars in the sky fell to earth. Is that some kind of like falling away or something like that? Well, yeah, that's it. Well, that's interesting. Well, one thing, Amos, it does. I mean, regardless of what they are in this in this uh, passage, regardless of what the stars are, he does give the caveat, or I guess if you'd say, of the clarification of even as a fig tree cast casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So mm-hmm. it, it's saying whatever it is. I mean, whatever those stars may be. Of heaven that are fallen into earth, it's 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 like a fig tree casting her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So yeah, so I think that just it gives a clear picture of of a shaking of heaven, regardless of mm-hmm. of what the stars are that are falling. I, and again, I, I'm totally totally open to be wrong there, but when I was reading it for myself, that particular thing jumped out of me as confirmation that of what that's uh, of the shaking of heaven as as David described earlier. But yeah, mm-hmm. perhaps you know he was being kind of poetic. In that passage, when he's when he's saying the stars fall from the sky and comparing it to you know the figs that are that are shaken, and he's he's also re- making reference to an Old Testament scripture, I believe there. So, you know, he he's kind of saying, hey, look, he, he, this is what's going to happen, but look back at this Old Testament scripture for more details on what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So that that's perhaps why he maybe made that reference right. to, to the fig tree being shaken. Yeah, because everything in those verses is basically in code. I mean, everything, every line of that has an Old Testament, you know, explanation. At least in the sixth yeah. seal, it's probably all throughout the Re- the Book of Revelations. But certainly in this in this part, it seems seems true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they've Absolutely. all got uh, they've all got Old Testament references because the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. Um, I think there's a verse in the Old Testament where it says. The hearts of somebody was shaken as when as trees are shaken by a mighty wind. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of old test Old Testament um, language in there as well. That's why I was saying, you know, I always have a problem uh, trying to interpret it as whether it's literal or if. Um, but there is the uh, reference down. You made a very good point with uh, the kings of the earth and you know running into the rocks and the caves. You know that would seem that it would be literal. You know. That they're they're actually hiding because they're, they're saying for the rocks to fall on them. So, yeah. Dave, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the other seals and where we are in relation to them? Because I think that's a uh, that's a uh, news to to me for certain. Um, yeah, absolutely, no problem. I can do that. Um, well, really, to understand my view on the opening of the seals, you have to go back just a little bit to Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and understand the context of what John was seeing. Now, as, as you guys probably know, the traditional placement of the rapture within the book of Revelation is at Revelation 4.1, you know, where John is, here's a voice that says, come up here and I will show you things that will happen after these things. And he, um, you know, he hears the sound of the trumpet and they the trumpet there to the you know the trumpet or the last trumpet the trumpet of God. But um, if you if you read that passage in context and, and what is happening, you'll see that uh, John was actually being caught up in into the heavens to see a vision of something that was momentous, that momentous occasion, and I believe that 
Jesus was not there when he got up there. Now this is odd because we know that when Jesus ascended, he went and sat down at the right hand of God. There are several scriptures that say Jesus is at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. He is there waiting until his enemies are made his footstools. He's there interceding for us at the right hand of God. Well, strangely enough, when John gets up there and he he sees the 24 elders and the four living creatures, he sees God on the throne, but there's no Jesus there. And there's there's actually a cry throughout the heaven. Who is who is worthy to open this scroll that is at the right hand of God? Well, Jesus should be at the right hand of God. Why isn't he there to open the scroll? And then in chapter 5, all of a sudden we see uh, a description, or we, we have a description of John seeing a lamb as if it had been slain up here. And there's great rejoicing, and this lamb uh, goes to the right hand of God and takes the scroll. And then there's rejoicing, and a new song is sung by the, uh, by the 24 elders and the living creatures. So I had never seen this bef before I began studying it for my book, but the more I studied it, I realized that what John was seeing here was a, was a picture of the ascension of Jesus Christ in the first century to the right hand of God from a yeah, heavenly perspective. Yeah, I think it is, because in Acts chapter 1, we, have, we, we see the ascension from an earthly perspective where the apostles were all there on the Mount of Olives and they saw Jesus go up into the air, but we really don't have... Uh, something that says, okay, what happens when he when he ascended and went to the right hand of God and sat down at the right hand of God from a heavenly perspective? And I believe that's actually what we are being shown. Because in the context, if you look at the song that is sung by those four living creatures and 24 elders, it's a new song, and the topic of the song is about uh, the redemption that had taken place. You have, you have redeemed people from every tribe and kindred and tongue, and you have made them to be a, a kingdom of priests, and they will reign on the earth. Um, all this happened back in the first century when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended. It's not something that happened, you know, 2,000 years later or, or whenever, you know, the, the resurrection and the rapture takes place. It's not something that wouldn't be considered a new song that they would be singing. And the new song would be sung when he ascends, when he takes his place as, as the king on the throne, as, as you know, the, the high priest and the king. And so that's what I believe is, is being shown by John, is Jesus actually ascending in the first century, taking his place at the right hand of God. And that's what's interesting, is the scroll is at the right hand of God. So now we... We know why Jesus went to the right and perhaps, you know, not the left, but he was prophesied to sit at the right hand of God. It's because there's something there waiting for him. What's waiting for him there is the scroll. And it's actually a scroll that he is only worthy to open the seals thereof. And so uh, that's kind of the context of, of where uh, I begin understanding what is taking place in Revelation chapter 6 when the Lamb begins to open the seals. I don't believe there's thousands of years in between the time when he sat down at the right hand of God and then when he began to open the seals. I believe that he opened those seals right then in the first century. And what was he doing? He was 
those seals actually reveal what is going to take place on the earth. He's saying, John, here, I'm going to show you things that are going to happen hereafter. Hereafter meaning from the time of his ascension up until you know, the, the opening of the sixth seal, which obviously has not yet taken place. And so we have the opening of the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, and the fourth seal being riders on horses. And, um, you know, we could go into a lot of, of talk about, well, what does each seal mean? We, we can do that if you want. Um, but just overall, I believe that the, the first four seals, because they are horses, they're, they're all kind of connected. And I believe that they are spiritual forces that are in the earth. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, and when you look at Zechariah chapters 1 and 6, it gives us a lot of clues because there Zechariah also sees a vision of four horses, four colored horses, and it actually says that they're four spirits. These are, the, are, are four spirits that are going and walking through the earth and asking permission to do things in the earth. And so I think that gives us a lot of clues and a lot of context about what John actually saw when those seals were opened by Jesus. So, Chris, yeah, I don't know. That's an awesome insight. That really is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, here's, here's a uh, verse in Isaiah. It says, but the Egyptians are, it's Isaiah 31, 3, but the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. Yeah. So so there's there's another reference to that, that God's horses are spirit. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. Um, now, I, I've heard you detail the seals before, and uh, um, they're all interesting in that in, in that context. One of the things I think would be interesting to clear up is the one that generally gets looked at as a food shortage, where, where it very well might be a food shortage because it's mentioned uh, either earlier or later. I got it right here, but... Um, but it's actually might be referring more to economic situations. Yeah, that, and that is very interesting. Uh, you're talking about the third seal where there's a black horse and a rider. And uh, let's go ahead and read it. When the Lamb opened the third seal, Revelation 6, 5, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. So I looked, and here came a black horse. The one who rode it had a balanced scale in his hand. The Greek word there for balanced scale is zugon. Then I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat will cost a day's pay, and three quarts of barley will, be, will cost a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. So, what we need to understand with this really is, is like you said, there's a, there's a famine that is mentioned in the fourth seal specifically. When you read, when you read the, the uh, fourth seal, it actually mentions the sword, pestilence, and famine. So to me, to say, well, this third seal is, is referring to food shortage and famine uh, is kind of, really doesn't make sense because you have it actually saying famine there in the fourth seal. So it would just be repeating it. So I kind of did a study on that Greek word zugon where it's translated in the, in the version that I just read, which is the New English translation as balanced scale. And it's interesting, when you look throughout the New Testament and even the Greek Septuagint translation of the Old Testament the word zugon is over and over translated as a yoke something that binds prisoners or you know around the head or the ankles or the wrists or binds cattle you know around the head to to make the cattle walk together that they will bind the cattle with by the by the neck with a yoke 
and uh, it's also used for prisoners. And so I thought, well, why is why is this translated as balance scales or parabound scales? You know, you always see the picture of that horse, and he's got a balance scale in his hand. You know, uh, in the kind of the the four horsemen of the apocalypse pictures that you'll see. But he, you know, he's never shown holding a a, a uh, yoke, something that oppresses people and keeps them in bondage. And all, like I said, all throughout the New Testament, this word zugon is translated as yoke, such as in Matthew 11:29, Jesus said, "Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my load is not heavy to carry." Well, carry. Well, that word yoke there is actually zugon. Also, in Acts chapter 15, it says, So why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? That word yoke there again is zugon. And so, over and over again, we see this yoke, as uh, this word zugon, as translated as yoke. Well, we come to <laughs> Revelation 6, and it's the only two times... Here in Revelation chapter 6 that this is translated, well, actually the, the only time in the entire New Testament that this word is translated as balanced scales, which I find interesting. What you know? Why didn't we just say, well, this is a yoke? Well, it's because the voice that comes out of the uh, four living creatures states, well, this is it. Um, you know, this is in reference to barley and grain and the olive oil and the wine, and it's saying that they're you know, a day's pays is not going to be able to afford something like this. Um, so it, people have said, well, there's going to be a food ration. There's going to be a food shortage. So, you know, that's kind of the traditional way it's been understood. But I believe that it's actually a financial oppression that, you know, there's going to be such a terrible time of financial oppression and bondage that people will be forced into that the cost of things is just going to be multiplied over and over and over the value you know the money is going to to be uh, inflated and and the cost of goods inflated but you know the value of the goods is is not really changing you know wheat well, barley olive oil and wine there's they're still the same things but the price of them is going to go up for some reason. And so uh, kind of in my books, I go into a lot of history of you know, financial oppression through governments and you know, economic oppression. And I believe that, that that's what Jesus was showing John in this third seal was there's going to be financial oppression led by the spirit world. You know, um, people being influenced by the spirit world and governments being influenced to oppress people into financial bondage and financial oppression and boy do we see that here in America today and really all around the world yeah. with, with the central banking thinking. system absolutely exactly yeah and that's interesting because the Old Testament prophets it talks about a time and time again where God finally lifts the yoke or the burden or oppression of the the oppressor off of his people so that makes total sense wow yeah yeah absolutely um, okay, I just want to take a quick time out and mention we're talking with David Lowe. And David, your your website is earthquakeresurrection.com, isn't it? 
Right on. And uh, I've, I've all the interviews I've listened to you lately in preparing for the show, just couldn't believe the response that people were giving to the book. I mean, it, it it's really it's really helping people understand stuff that that they haven't understand understood in a long time. And I think it's one of the must own type books. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've just listened to I don't know what fifteen interviews. I haven't read it, but man, the information that it's impacting people to have is is astounding. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> is that the best way to get the book through EarthquakeResurrection.com? Uh, yeah, it's the, it's actually the uh, the lowest price. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Amazon and some of the other online distributors have it, but it's it's a little higher price, so you can get. You it also have it for download, right? Yeah, you can get it for download. It's an online PDF version. Format. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. Amos, do you have any more questions before we move on to some other stuff on the seals or anything like that? Um, I I wanted to get into uh, I had heard uh, him talking about this in another interview about the um, connection of God's voice into uh, seismic activity and the background of of the uh, what was it the Greek word or the Hebrew word mm-hmm. I, I wanted to wanted him to get into that because I found that really interesting. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about, David? Yeah, sure do. I can do that. Um, the the Greek word for trumpet in the uh, New Testament is salpinx or salpigio, um, and what I did was I looked at that Greek word and said, okay, um, what does it mean? Well, it means a trumpet. Well, what are the root words where that Greek root words where that comes from? And the study it took me on was very interesting because um, you see everywhere every root word that that Greek word for trumpet comes from is connected with uh, surging waves is one of them reverberation, shaking, earthquakes Um, I'll just give you an example Uh, one of the word one of the root words for salpinx which is again the Greek word for trumpet is salos and that that word is used once in the New Testament, and it's Luke 21:25, where Jesus said, "And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth nations will be in distress, anxious over the roaring of the sea, and the surging waves." And that word there, surging waves, is waves is salu. Wow, so, yeah, and so that's the only place that's used. And it, it what it's talking about there is how the waves. Uh, reverberate uh, from from something that impacts them and causes them to reverberate. Um, another word there, uh, uh, another root word is sino, which means uh, to be shaken or troubled or disturbed, and it's only used once in the New Testament. Um, from that word, you go back even further, and there's a Greek word called saliu, and uh, that means to waver, shake, and agitate, and it, it's used several times in the New Testament. But it, it itself has a root word, which is seo, and from that Greek word we get seismos, which is earthquake. It's used over mm. and over, uh, seo, which is uh, the actually the word is there in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, where we read it earlier. Just then the temple curtain was twenty-two from top to bottom. The earth shook. There is that word, and and the rocks are split apart. So here we have, you know, seismos, saliu, seo, all of these, sino, all of these Greek words um, 
are root words of the trumpet southeast. So, you know, naturally when you think about the sound a trumpet makes, it's that reverberating sound that it has in your ears. You know, the shaking, kind of the reverberation. And that is what, you know, makes it so interesting that Paul says the voice of the trumpet, or the, or the trumpet of God, and um, is what's actually going to precede the resurrection of the dead. And when you do a word study on that, it's just really interesting that every every single root word is talking about something that is shaking, something that reverberates and quakes. So, you know... Good. Yeah, I was going to just say, you know, one thing that a lot of people kind of touched on it earlier, they say, well, you know, I don't see there being any description in the New Testament about when the Lord comes back, there's going to be this destruction, this catastrophe around the earth that you're talking about. You know, where where is it that, you know, even Paul or Jesus or anybody makes reference to a time of destruction when, when he returns? And it's interesting that there, there definitely is uh, reference to destruction that takes place. And one of them is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where just before Paul had just been talking about in chapter 4, the resurrection of the dead in Christ and the catching up event, or the rapture. And then he says in verse five, uh, 2 of chapter 5, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come in the same way as a thief in the night. For when they are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will surely not escape so there's one reference where Paul says look the day of the Lord is going to be ushered in by a time of sudden destruction where people are not ready for it it's sudden um, and it's a destruct something destructive happens um, and so then what about Jesus did he say that his coming was going to be ushered in by a time of destruction well, let's look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21. But be on your guard, verse 34, be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day close upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will overtake all who live on the face of the whole earth. Stay alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that must happen and to stand before the Son of Man. Right there we see Jesus saying something that's going to come down on them suddenly like a trap and overtake the entire earth. And so, you know, what was he referring to? Something that people were not expecting. Well, go ahead. Uh, no, continue. Okay, I think the, uh, the best place to look is Luke chapter 17. And this is a place where Jesus describes, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with it, the days of the coming of the Son of Man, and he, and he compares it to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So just before that uh, passage, he says, uh, The people were saying to you, Look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go out or chase after them. For just like the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the Son of Man will be in his day. So Jesus is here describing something, his coming as being quick, and that will... Um, be something that happens suddenly. So, 
I think it's very interesting that when he goes on to give a couple examples of it, he picks destructive events and the suddenness at which they came upon the people. Luke 17:26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And then in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, and building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So, what did Jesus emphasize in both of those events? He emphasized, number, number one, the suddenness and the unexpectedness of something that was going to happen. Right? He said that right up until the day it happened, people were going on with life as usual. And so, and then the second thing that he emphasized was a destruction, a destructive act. The flood and then the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he said, it will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So to me, it's Jesus is warning us that, hey, when I come, when I come as flashing lightning in the sky, uh, there's going to be a, a destruction and, there's, and it's going to take people by surprise. And again, Paul um, confirms that in the passage that I read from 1 Thessalonians 5. And this really all ties in with the tying in the six seal events with the resurrection and the catching up event. So I think those passages really are important in understanding that there is going to be a destructive event and it is going to take place in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And one thing, what do you guys think? One thing, David, that this, uh, this solves for me has been a, a thing that I've wondered about. Like, how would the rapture be covered up so it doesn't look like a rapture? You know, that's always an, an interesting thing. And that, that solves it, as you've uh, mentioned before in, in other interviews, that if there was an earthquake because of this energy transfer, because of just by God's uh, just act of raising people from the dead, interacting with our physical world, um, you know, it causes these this huge earthquake. And as in the, like you've mentioned before, like in the tsunami and stuff, I mean, there were a lot of people that disappeared that were just unaccounted for, and there will just be no, there won't be any uh, electronics, you know, going, a lot of stuff is going to just totally shut down. So the missing people can be relegated to that, you know, oh, it was just this massive cataclysm. Absolutely, Chris. This is probably the most exciting thing about the model. Not not that it's referring to a destruction, but that it helps to explain some of the problems that people have always had. You know, with maybe with the left behind scenario, where it's it's kind of life as usual um, on the earth afterward. People are you know flying around in planes and driving cars and everything's you know happening as it was before. Um, and yes, the I believe the tsunami event is extremely important. In fact, I had finished my book, Earthquake Resurrection, uh, just prior to the uh, December, uh, I believe it was December 26, 2004, tsunami event. And uh, then I postponed it and published the book nine months later because everything that I was seeing was kind of tying into what I was writing about how uh, 
the destruction that takes place in the future on a worldwide global catastrophe is going to cause so much chaos and confusion that there isn't going to be life as normal. There's going to be, you know, so much destruction, so much moving of the of the earth, and so much death that, uh, you know, people. It's going to be a six seal scenario, and there's going to be have to be a time of uh, rebuilding and unification and and so forth. That's exactly what we saw with the tsunami, like you said. You know, people were were missing for for such a long time, and their bodies simply could not be found. And so the governments of, of some of those countries said, you know, if these people are not found within a year, then we're just going to have to say that they were killed in the tsunami. And there were so many people unaccounted for in in the uh, the hot zone there in Sumatra uh, that were not even accounted for. And so when you kind of apply this to, to, to the, uh, the d- destruction that will take place at the resurrection of the dead, the sudden destruction that, you know, that Jesus and Paul talked about, could it actually mask what uh, you know, people, people always say, I, I don't like the left behind um, kind of model because it says that it's, it's going to be obvious that the rapture has just taken place because people are yeah. going to be missing. You know, their clothes are going to be lying on the bed and, and a lump of clothes, but there's no person in them, kind of like the movies you see. You know, and it's just, it's just not a real good model for how it, it's going to happen. You know, people are going to say, be here one minute and be gone the next. Oh, obviously the rapture just took place. Now it's time for me to get serious about God and get saved. And what I'm saying is, this destructive event, you know, by God's plan, could perhaps mask the rapture and mask the resurrection. Perhaps people that are missing because of, you know, the rapture or the catching up event are just in the chaos and confusion. They're just said to be part of those who are missing and those who are dead in this global catastrophic event I mean there's going to be so much chaos and confusion I believe that takes place that I, I believe that is a very good explanation for for the disappearance of millions of people what do you guys think Amos um, you know first of all I have to say I find a lot of the left behind series uh, the model of their interpretation ridiculous but um, you know as far as I've thought a lot about this, about how the rapture would be covered up, um, and it's, you know, I don't know. It does talk about the waves of the sea coming up over the land in the Old Testament. I don't know. Maybe they'll say it's, you know, people who are washed back. But, you know, if the if, if the Antichrist comes and they're thinking that he's God, you know, it, you got to think about the current temperature of people's attitudes in the world towards Christianity. And as more and more we get towards the end. You know, if the Antichrist is, if they're thinking he's God, you know, and he shows up, you know, he could just, it says that, you know, he brings fire down from heaven in full view of men, uh, and fire that is judgment, you know, maybe he's going to say, you know, I, I cleanse the land of all the haters or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, well, maybe I, there'll be, 
Yes, I, I wanted to interject. I'm sorry, uh, but that just made me think about that. That I've been thinking about this. This is probably the the event that they're <clears throat> setting up for with the 2012 pole shift, et cetera, et cetera. I, I see. Yeah. I see. This is like that's what's going to happen. All these people are going to say, "Oh, look! Didn't we tell you we were going to go? We were. This is this is that 26,000 year cycle that we're going to go through that we've always gone through that all the ancients were trying to warn us about, and now we're going to go into a new age. Yada 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 yada. That's why the the 2012 thing is so heavily promulgated because uh, I just think that they're they are anticipating. And when I say they, I I don't know, uh, but 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 anticipating this event. Maybe they knew David's model before David did, and 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 uh, and are are, yeah. are doing this. Yeah, there is a big delusion coming. There's, you know, God says because they refuse to to receive the love of the truth and so be saved that God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and it says in Jeremiah chapter 50 it says uh, in verse 22 it says the noise of battle is in the land the noise of great destruction how broken and shattered is the hammer of the whole earth how desolate is Babylon among the nations it says I set a trap for you O Babylon and you were caught before you knew it you were found and captured because you opposed the Lord. The Lord has opened his arsenal and brought out the weapons of his wrath. For the sovereign Lord Almighty has work to do in the land of the Babylonians. And I've often thought that uh, that this powerful delusion ties into, because uh, Babylon's pretty much encompassed the whole world, the whole system of Babylon, spiritual, physical, political. Um, and, and I've often thought that trap that he said ties into this this powerful delusion. So maybe with the sixth seal earthquake and the resurrection, you know, tied in with the Antichrist, maybe there's something going to go down here that, that causes, you know, some type, on their view, like some type of religious cleansing, maybe with 2012, who knows, uh, and then they think they can have peace because Paul says that they're, that, that, you know, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. So maybe right. God takes us out. Then there's a time of peace. They set up their system for a little while, and everybody thinking everybody's thinking everything is cool. And then, and then the day of the Lord judgment comes upon them. You know, something, mm -hmm. something of that nature. Yeah, you ra you raise a lot of good points, Amos. One thing you said um, made me think of, you know, the model of the tsunami and what happened in the aftermath was that there's a, a time of not only cleanup but a time of reconciliation, a time of unity. And when you said, you know, you're talking about the Antichrist and, you know, pulling the world together, um, that's what I think if we follow the model of what happened in, in the tsunami event and then kind of put that on top of something that's going to take place in the future, this global earthquake resurrection event and and by the way the uh, the tsunami event was I'm sure you guys both know it was a global event because it, it was felt even all around the world but um, just just imagine the power of the resurrection and his voice shaking the earth I mean I think it's going to be many many times yeah uh, I think more it's going to be much more powerful yeah, it's probably yeah exactly called, it's probably going to destroy stuff on all the continents like everywhere yeah, um, and so what I'm saying is, uh, if you look at the tsunami event, I mean there was there were people, peoples, and and groups that were fighting with each other that put aside their disputes for you know the time being and helped each other out, um, and just unprecedented kind of 
things like that happen when you know people are are met with such a, a terrible catastrophic event and you know a, makes such you draw the differences a, right exactly such a dawning um, looking forward to of having to rebuild you know we've got to come together we've got to do this I mean it happened with September 11th yeah you know, that's what become, I was going to say yeah yeah people become patriotic they uh, you know they go to church for a while and you know they people who are enemies you know kind of join hands and say you know let's be strong we are America um, and, and it happened and with I think, the I think that's the purpose of these wars too it's almost like they're 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 trying to uh play out these scenarios so that we'll realize on our own how devastating war is you know that we're they're, they're creating the these war scenarios and and they're looking at all this death so people you know wake up on their own and say this is ridiculous that we're all you know <laughs> fighting and and you know in conjunction with with this earthquake you can see how you know somebody might come on the scene and say uh you know in, in the light of all this devastation never before has there been a moment where you know man can come together and have a brotherhood you know and hmm. and you, you you can see that happening you know and then they might even mention a global new world order satan just mocks i mean in revelation god talks about the old order of things has passed away and all things become new and then satan just counterfeits and picks up on an old old order new world order it's it's ridiculous how he just he can't come up with anything new he's just got to take god's concepts and pervert it it's kind of annoying you know <laughs> <laughs> well said, absolutely. Well, um, I, I, I want to just try to hit on a few things to close up, but I'm afraid uh, these few things might end up taking a, a little bit of time. But let's uh, let's just try to. I want to clear up some pretty pretty big issues and, and things like that. Like, um, not really big issues, but like let's let's just uh, look at some things. Like, first of all, the in the context of the five seals, where. Where do you say we are? are? Is there a specific place that we have passed? Are we in a place? Can it? Is there any uh, give there? And, uh, and let's let's just say that real quick. Good question. Yeah, where are we within the uh, the opening of the first five seals? Um, I believe we are definitely before the opening of the sixth seal, because I don't think we've ever seen a time in history where. Um, anything that has described in the sixth seal has taken place of course the preterists will say that it happened in 70 AD but um, I don't believe that yeah. uh, fits at all um, so I believe that we're, we're some, somewhere in between the fifth and sixth seal but the important thing to remember is I believe because, because I put a historical slant on the first fi opening of the first five seals meaning that they were opened in the first century um, I believe that they continue all the way to the present that Jesus was showing John that look this is what's going to happen these spiritual entities who you know don't die they're spirits they you know they last you know forever they're because they're spiritual beings they're not going to die like humans because these spiritual beings are doing these things and influencing people to do things to each other, you know, to kill, to, to butcher people and to have oppression and, and all these other things. This is something that's going to take place all the way from when I've opened the seal to show it to you, John, all the way up until my coming or up until the opening of the sixth seal. So where I believe we are is 
we are I think we were after the opening of the fifth seal for sure we didn't talk about that much but uh, the fifth seal is is where John is shown the martyrs that are before the throne crying out for vengeance for their blood that had been shed on the earth and you know they are told to wait just a little while longer so it's interesting that um, you know perhaps that this seal was opened recently or, or perhaps not in the first century because of that um, caveat that, that it states they're given a white robe and told to wait just a little while longer until the uh, the full number of their fellow brothers uh, fellow Christians are, are killed so really what that's saying is look there's going to be Christians and, and people who are killed, fellow brothers in Christ who are killed, faithful remnant. And all up through history, and we've seen that. We've seen, you know, we know all about the martyrs that have been killed. And he's, and he's showing John, look, this is going to take place until a full number is reached. We don't know when that full number is going to be reached, but obviously there's going to be one last Christian martyr that's going to be killed. And I believe it's at that point in the future, whenever that is, that it's going to you know tip the scale, so to speak, of God's wrath, and his cup is going to be full. And then is when that sixth seal is going to be open. So I, hey, that's kind of where I think we are in that. Amos, you believe the white, the white horse was, uh, because there was kind of like a, I don't know how many year period where in the beginning of the early church it kind of went silent. It was like a curtain came down. And they say, you know, when it came back up, there was a very different church with the uh, with the Holy Roman Empire. Do you believe that was like the white horse, the the first seal being open? How Christianity was kind of changed with the uh, with the Roman Empire and all that? I think it has something, definitely something to do with that. I think you're referring to um, maybe when Augustine and all those started writing there in the third and fourth century. You know, after a, a time of uh, kind of a time of silence and the, and the church was changed or, or maybe you're referring to uh, you know the dark ages the middle ages yeah when, early on it, it just yeah. seemed like the, the church changed and it's interesting that the rider doesn't have an arrow he just has a bow mm-hmm. and it's it seems like you know that he, he does it in peace even though because a lot of these wars they're saying oh we're only warring because we want peace mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying so Right. Yeah, and I believe that that first seal is actually the spirit of Antichrist, where mm-hmm. they use the name of Christ, they use Christianity, but they use it in a false way for, through false religions, through uh, to, to try to dominate. Them. Yeah, exactly. To try to conquer mm-hmm. them. Maybe you've kind of heard what I've said on that. But yeah, I mean, and I believe that that spirit of Antichrist was, as John said in First John, that it was already in the world, and that it was, um, you know. Yes, he did say that. Yeah, he was already conquering people, and so that kind of puts it in context where this first seal was already there. So, you know, after the after the ascension, I believe when Jesus opened that first seal of the scroll is when John afterward was writing about it, and so um, we see all through. I was going to say we see all throughout history, uh, you know, through the Protestant Reformation. Uh, you know, even especially through the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church this domination and oppression of the people and uh, trying to dominate them and through through false religion and you know through uh, Mary and and just all the things that the Catholic Church has so wrong, closely tied to politics and 
and and all the leaders of the, uh, the sure. Holy Roman Empire, the Catholic Church, have always been tied into politics and and no, uh, no question. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Um, one thing I wanted to get your opinion on was, um, and this is something that's always bugged me. Uh, most people interpret the uh, the temple where Paul says um, he shall set himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming that he is God. But Paul told us that the, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then you have the interpretation, the wrong interpretation of the Pharisees when Jesus was standing beside the temple. And he told them, tear this temple down in three days, you know, and I'll rebuild it. And he said, you know, the, the fact that the Pharisees are like, oh, it took us like 46 years to build this. You're crazy. Uh, and they were misinterpreting, and he was speaking of his body. And then Paul tells us that we're living stones being built into a temple. And one of the thoughts that I had was the spirit of Antichrist standing in the temple would be uh, would be Satan setting himself up in men's hearts. And, and just, you know, because we're coming through this period now where this Christ consciousness, where, you know, the collective consciousness is God. And that sounds all about Satan setting himself up in men's hearts as God. But a lot of people are believing there's going to be a literal third temple built and that a man will stand in it. Do you believe that maybe it's being set up? He is standing in the temple in, in people's bodies with this Christ consciousness and there'll be a literal fulfillment where there'll be a third temple or what you do you get what I'm saying? I do. I, I absolutely do. Uh, yeah, you're referring to Second Thessalonians <clears throat> where it, where Paul states he he, the man of lawlessness, or the man of sin, the son of destruction, opposes and exalts himself to, above every so-called god or object of worship. As a result, he takes his seat in the in God's temple, displaying himself as God. Yeah. So what you're asking there is, is that temple what what we referred to is referred to throughout the New Testament as our body is the temple of God, and all the all the examples that you just gave, or is it going to be a rebuilt? third temple um, and my take on that really is in order to in order to interpret that as kind of symbolic or spiritual temple as, as you're referring to uh, you know our bodies being the temple and that's where this is this man of lawlessness takes his seat in order to do it that way you really have to take the entire second chapter of Thessalonians where he's where Paul is talking about uh, all of this and and kind of put that in a spiritual sense and when you do that I think it I don't think it really works all that well because um, you know in verse 5 he says surely you will recall that I told you these things when I was still with you and then he goes on to give even more details about uh, what's going to happen in the future this man is being held back so that he will re be revealed in his own time uh, the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, he's being held back by something until that something that restrains is taken out of the way. Then the man of sin is going to be revealed, uh, whom the, the Lord will destroy with the breath of his mouth and wipe out with the manifestation of his arrival. The, the arrival of the man of sin will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really not not seeing the uh, where we can put a spiritual slant on that. I really think that's more of a literal description of of the man of sin, and therefore I, I tend to 
say, yeah, he must take his seat in in God's temple. Is that going to be a rebuilt third temple? I don't know. Are they? But, I mean, they know this. You know, the the people in politics, they can't be that stupid. I mean, even with yes. the Left Behind series, they got to know when they're starting to build this temple. They know all the Christians are perking their ears up. They're like, they know the signs. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to have the Holy Spirit and the spiritual understanding. They're not stupid. They know. Yes. So they got to be doing this knowing they're doing it. And the, and the thought I had was that one of the deceptions was they could have us placed um, – where we're at, they can mess us up thinking where we're at in the end times just by getting us to think it is a literal temple, you know, and and building it or, or something of that nature, you know. It just it, it's something just seems funny because would it be God's temple, you know? Christ is our temple, you know. Our bodies are the temple. Could it be? Mm-hmm. Con- could the third temple even be considered God's temple? Wouldn't that be no. an abomination? To build Absolutely. a temple. Well, I think. <laughs> yes, I agree. I think continuing with the Satan's, you know, like uh, uh, perverting of, of all God's laws. I think that's kind of the ultimate perversion that he could set up. You know, like set that temple up, which would be an abomination of itself because the temple is, uh, you know, in his people now. And so I think I could just. I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I see that as like a something he. That's the plan of Satan. You know, if anything else, I, um, I to do that. Um, but but I think that both they both could work. I mean, is it, they actually could both be running alongside one another. And you know, I, I think you're right. I think what it happens is things happen in the spirit, and then they manifest in the physical. I think with the mark of the beast, you know, people have taken the the uh, mindset of the beast in their forehead, in their mind, and that right hand represents your work, the work that you do. They've taken the mark of the beast in their hand, but it's going to have a physical manifestation with some type of actual mark. And I think that might be, you know, Satan is preparing the heart of man, setting himself up in his heart, and then maybe it'll physically manifest with the ultimate uh, end of it where they build a third temple. But I think things maybe start inside and then work their way out to, to an outward manifestation. You see what I'm saying? Jesus even said whatever's, I mean, everything that we build you know, comes out of the heart of man. That was the whole thing with the idols. You know, it, it's the idols are nothing. The reason it really, you know, offended God, and that's putting it lightly, is that a man is chiseling something and, and chipping things off of it, shaping what's in his heart. So, you know, that that's his God. So everything starts in the heart and, and works mm-hmm. its way outward. Everything that we build, all the systems that we build come out of the heart of man. So, Maybe that's the answer to it. It's you know he sets himself up in man's heart, and then the ultimate end of it is that third temple and an actual man standing in it. So very true, um, David. Okay, I guess we're getting closer here to the end. I just wanted to uh, get well, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you this question. I think it encompasses some things. <laughs> so I, I, just for clarification, really. So the trumpets and the bowls would be considered. Uh, the wrath of God in in your model, and if that is the case, then we then they are all a part of the wrath. Then then in that case, I guess the question is, what is your view on the quote rapture? I guess it would it wouldn't be uh, one of the things I was uh, surprised by is it is kind of a seven year model, but not in any of the normal conventions. Uh, if you could uh, without I don't know if it's possible to go into not too much detail there, but uh, but what what do you have on that? Yeah, well, what I what I would first say is, you've got to believe in a rapture. 
if you believe in the Bible, if you believe in Scripture. Uh, you know, there's people that say, I don't see the rapture, in the, I don't see the word rapture in the Bible, therefore I don't believe it. But the concept is there, even though the word rapture may not be in the King James translation. I know you guys understand this. There is going to be a catching up. And you cannot deny it. Yeah, there's going to be a harpazel. Uh, and if you look at that word and the way it's defined and the way it's used in context all throughout the New Testament, it's a sudden snatching up, seizing by force against the will of the person that's being harpazoed. Exactly. Yeah, so <clears throat> what then? What would be the purpose of the Lord rapturing us, catching us up? Why do we need to be caught up into the air? If, you know, if there's not a rapture followed by a second coming, if you want to say seven years later or, or you know, however many years later it may be, end up being, what is the purpose of catching up people into the air if they're just going to make a U-turn and come back to the earth with Jesus? Yeah. The purpose, uh, yeah, the purpose of a harpazo is to to catch up, to get out of harm's way, to snatch somebody out of harm's way, or exactly. something that's going to happen. And I believe that again, it's a destruction that's going to happen on the earth, as people are caught up into the air. This power of the resurrection begin, this catastrophe begins to take place on the earth, and that's what they're caught up into the air to avoid, to escape, as Jesus said. Escape a lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, Noah was protected. Right. Yes, yeah, God usually does take his people out before the destruction. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people like to say, well, he, he, can, he doesn't have to snatch us up and take us to heaven. You know, he can protect, he can leave us on the earth and protect us in, in that fashion. But yes, he could, but that's really not the way it was described. Yeah. You know, in, in those other examples, yes, Lot remained on the earth. Yes, Noah remained on the earth. But in this example, we're not remaining on the earth. We're caught up into the air. You can't get around the hopazo, yeah. Right. And the so, fact that he said he were caught up into the air. Yeah, you cannot get away from that. So, to you know, to your question, Chris, I think you're wanting to know where, you know, where do I fall as far as the, you know, the seven years and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, pre-trib or whatever. And, and I, you know, I, I've shied away from using the, the you know, the pre-trib kind of description because uh, and and it's not a pre-wrath really either because if you look at the the pre-wrath model what they still believe is that the, f the seals are going to be open in the future really the model that I've uh, put together is the only one that says the seals have already been opened the first five seals and that we're awaiting the sixth seal the pre-wrath model says you know we're still going to have the seals in the future and it's going to be really really bad in a time of tribulation but we're going to be raptured at the sixth seal you know and be caught up and then uh, that's that actually that's actually three-fourths of the way through the tribulation you know what they do is they they equate the seals and the trumpets and the bowls you know and say these are the saying the same things in different perspectives and uh, you know that that kind of thing and and really that's my model, the, the earthquake resurrection model, is more of a chrono chronological order of revelation model where it, it takes a, a historical view of the seals, says they've already been opened, and says we're awaiting the sixth seal. And then when that's open is when the resurrection and the, the catching up takes place. Then 
as the people on the earth who, who survived the sixth seal say, for the great day of their wrath has now come. And who is able to withstand it? Hadn't come yet, but with the, with the opening of the sixth seal is when it is the time it's going to come. So, so really, it's, it's not a pre-trib model, and, and it's, it's not a pre-wrath model. It, it's a whole new kind of model where, with, with the uh, historical view of the seals opening is, is really the key. So you, you believe that the, um, the, that the six seal or the seven seals happen, then the seven trumpets, then the seven bowls, and you believe we're raptured out at the six seals so we don't see the seven seal, the seven trumpets, or the seven bowls. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, when and I believe my that question that, go ahead. I was just gonna say I believe that that enormous group in Revelation chapter seven in heaven before the throne is Christians, us, the, those that have been resurrected and raptured. So we're yeah. in heaven before the opening of the seventh seal. Okay. The the only question I had, and I think Chris alluded to this in his uh rapture podcast, um and I thought it was a good point, and, and uh, is the fact that Paul, uh, in the first letter of Thessalonians, had written to the church at Thessalonica, and evidently from that, they, you know, they were getting other letters saying that the day of the Lord had already come, and in Second Thessalonians, he addressed that, um, you know, to calm them down. But he said that that day, that catching away, would not come until the falling away occurred and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So. It kind of it kind of makes it look like you know we're going to be here to see the falling away and we're going to be here to see the man of lawlessness revealed and then the day will come afterwards. So where would where would you place the 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 antichrist in this? Are we going to see the antichrist be revealed and then the sixth seal or do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I think I do. Um, yeah, you're I mean I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but that's what it seems like. Right, Second Thessalonians two one regarding the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to be with Him, He said, "Let no man deceive you in any way, for that day will not arrive until a rebellion or falling away apostasy comes, and the man of lawlessness, the, the man of sin, who we you know we think is is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction." And so, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have heard of Peter Goodgame and his work. But um, I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah, he he has the um, belief that the man of sin um, could be revealed to uh, prior prior to the resurrection and the catching up. Um, you know, re revealed to people who who he actually is, um, and then begin doing the things that Paul describes here in the rest of the. Uh, the chapter there in verse 2, but that the actual revealing event is something that, that takes place prior to, you know, the, the, the gathering together of us to be with Jesus Christ. And I think that's an interesting um, idea. However, I do see the problem that you are putting forth, and it is yeah. a uh, one thing. I yeah, One thing, yeah. uh, Amos, yeah. I, I, I just would like to point this out. I know this is uh, – uh, I just thought about this is what it would actually make that work is um, the black awakening scenario that Russ Dizdar talks about uh, be yes. because if if that happened and, – and, and keep in mind, that would be a lot of martyrs happening. That would be mainly Christians being killed, which would – apparently that's what uh, provokes God to actually um, – 
to 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 do what he does, you know, in, in the in the resurrection or, or you know what. They, yes. so, yeah, I see. But in, in addition, yeah, that's yeah. the fifth. Seal, in, yeah, in addition, yeah. in that event is what would actually, in their in their view, the 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 Satanists, or a lot of times uh, they don't know they're Satanists, multiple personality disorder people that are programmed to do this thing. This uh, that they they, uh, they would actually be um, doing it in order to to bring about the Antichrist system. It's a coup d'état. They they take out people in order. Yeah. So at the end of that event was when they, the Antichrist would step in and, and somehow save that, reveal himself, which would also be right at the same time that would provoke God to take him out, which would be the killing of Christians. So it could be that event could actually make that, that work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, another thought I had uh, regarding the Black Awakening, and and you can see the anger among young people. Um, just look at the magazines they're reading, uh, the video games they're playing. They're 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 so violent. Uh, you you can see that that the youth. Um, I work with a lot of youth, and they're really angry and they're they're disillusioned with the world. You can you can see that this is going to happen. Um, yes. But you know, it's interesting, David, that you made mention about. Um, the translation of the word, I think it was Salos or something you said, uh, you went through and it was translated, or no, it was um, the reference to the black horse. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Zugon. Zerga, uh-huh. Zugon, yeah. And you yes. said it was translated every other place one way, and then I, I did the same thing. I did uh, a, a study on uh, the section of the, the man of sin, and the interesting thing is where it says man of sin, if you look this up, it's uh, anthropos, the word man. And right. almost every other place, that's translated as men, not man. And it, it's, really? it's, yeah, yeah. If you look at it, and also the uh, the son of perdition is actually the children of destruction. Almost every other place in the Bible, that word son is translated as children. And um, so I, I found that interesting. Um, I, I'm not, you know, a professional translator. But when mm-hmm. something's translated as another word, it's almost like they, they wanted to force it into a one-man type Antichrist thing when they translated it. So, like mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm not a professional translator, but the man of sin looked like it should have been translated men of error. And the, wow. uh, the, the children, the son of perdition looks like, you might want to check on that. It looks mm-hmm. like it should have been translated children of destruction. And then that would go That's along with um, the black awakening. Uh, and then we would see the falling away, and then we would see that black awakening, which is the men of error, which may be our leaders who are leading us into error, and the <laughs> children of destruction, which would be the black awakening. And then because there probably is going to be a one-man antichrist, you know, the king of Babylon type thing, um, but maybe in some of these different areas, if we would go back and check the original words, maybe we could fit some pieces together, you know. Mm. Um yeah. It, there is a verse in the Bible, and, and I'm not trying to open up a can of worms and say the Bible is translated wrong, but there is a verse in the Bible that says, how can you say we have the word of the Lord when the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you mm-hmm. know, that, that's in the Old Testament. So I, wow. I've noticed I've noticed some places in the Bible where if you do what you said, you go mm-hmm. back and you check every other use of that word, sometimes it's like you're looking at it's only chance you know, translated 20% this way, but the rest of the time it's translated a totally different, different way. So, you know, it's just, just a thought I had on that. It, it, it does seem like it would fit. Yeah, that, that is a good thought. Um, the only thing I would say about that is you have a lot of pronouns 
that you have to explain in in the verses that follow where it talks about him something that mm-hmm. that a a man or a person uh does and so it, when it says he and him he will sit the temple of God, He is God, and stuff like that. But very, very uh, good. I think we all learned a lot, or I know I learned a lot anyway uh, from this. Yeah, this was um, David. Do you have any uh, closing comments? Anything you'd like to say in in closing? Any places you should direct us to learn more and the rest of that? Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, you guys. I really enjoyed. Uh, I've never had a an interview where it's kind of two guys kind of. <laughs> asking the questions that was that was really fruitful i think uh brings a lot of of good thoughts into the discussion and i just really appreciate uh, yeah just really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys and uh yeah if, if, if anybody wants to check out the books they can do it at my website and uh, i got a lot of resources there that people can check out so okay contact yeah, most me by email. i think i'm going to download your book as soon as i get off of here it sounds really interesting great and uh you can uh um, let's see here. I'll link you in the in the uh, show notes of this uh, podcast, and also uh, people. Amos Amos has a show on Revelations Radio Network. That's RevelationsRadioNetwork.com. You can hear more of uh, what he does there. So um, I, I just can't thank you guys enough. I think I think this was really good, and I and I hope the message gets out. And I, I pray that God providentially leads it to those who 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 need it and who are hearing it now. I hope they know that that God got it to them uh, providentially, and that that's my prayer. So, okay, thanks guys. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign out right now, and uh, and I'll talk to you guys later. Okay, the next 17 or so minutes is going to be what Amos and I and David were talking about after the interview was done, and a lot of issues got covered that didn't get covered in the interview, so I think it would be interesting and fruitful to play it here. So, here you go. I think he's able to manifest it in different ways, and I think one of the ways that he's going to reserve, he's reserved one more time to use that trumpet voice, is at the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Watch out. So yeah, it says one more time he's going to use it. So great. That's going. It's going to. I'll tell you what, David. It's going to be amazing. It's going. I mean, I study the Bible, my faith, and everything, but I'm going to freak out, man, when it really happens. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be like, whoa. We we talk about this, but it's the yeah. When you really step back, and yeah, when you really step back and think about you know what you're, what we are studying, what we are saying, it's just, man, it's just mind blowing, but. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, they were terrified when they heard God's voice. They they told Moses, they're like, we don't want to speak with him anymore. <laughs> you do. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, in our world, in our natural world now, we just don't see the kind of things that are described in the Bible. Yeah, you know, I think like, it's supernatural like activity is going to scare yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. It really is. It's going to freak them out. It's going <laughs> to take them, you know. But I think it's really going to ramp up in the future. Yeah, D- I do David- too. David, I want to ask you a question. Quick question about Chuck Missler. I saw you had a picture of, with him on your site. Um, yeah. I get so much stuff. Oh, you can't Chuck Missler's this and that and that. I, I, I mean, I just really, really like Chuck Missler. I know he may be, you know, on this issue or whatever. But uh, did you ever have a chance to run any of this by him? Or I, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, unfortunately, he's really not interested. And <laughs> um, he's really not interested in, in people who he doesn't know and trust. Really. Um, I gave my a copy of my book to him, the in the in the year that that picture was taken, which was in 2005, I believe, the December Dallas pre-trib conference, 
and you know I, I asked him to read it and to let me know what he thought and then I wrote him some letters asking and some emails asking if he had read it and I never heard back and then um, I confronted him at the next year's conference and he really didn't uh, remember me and you know hadn't hadn't read it so um, that's kind of the, the same kind of reaction I've gotten from many if not all of the entrenched pre-trib crowd your like, model uh, is a little bit different things. yeah yeah it is it and is. Uh, some people and are just, entrenched in, in what they believe in, and I just believe there's multitude in the safety of, uh, uh, you know in, the, in safety in the multitude of counsel and the fact that we are a body you know the hand doesn't do what the foot does there are different people out there to be reached you know the ultimate goal is to lead them to Jesus Christ and to lead them to a saving knowledge and I think you know that the divisions that we have we have to listen to each other because nobody has it all right. You know what I'm saying? We can all learn yeah. from each other. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and Chris, you you mentioned Chuck. I mean, uh, he gets into some really crazy stuff that and some really interesting topics that you think, well, maybe he would be interested in something like this. You know, he gets into the Nephilim, and so, well, maybe he's into this. Right. I mean, he, he could, you know, yeah, he could get into something like this and and really consider the possibilities of it but i just i just haven't been able to break through with with him or really with any of the, the big prophecy guys because as you say they're really entrenched and and they have so many of their own resources out there that in order to espouse something new like this would you know they'd really have to but but you, you can know, take disengage from everything they've already written about every everybody has their own passions that's the problem and sometimes people just can't get passionate about certain things and I think that's the different parts of the body scenario but, that but you can take comfort in the fact that if it's true and, and if there's parts of what you, you say and we keep saying your model but if there's parts of it if not all of it that is uh, correct I mean you know God's God's going to get it to who he needs to get it to I mean it's, exactly. his, it's his it's his deal you know so so I mean all we got to do is just do what we can see right in front of our faces and, and he'll get it to, to whoever Every, everybody's feeding different breaking off different parts of the loaf and getting it getting to people, you know. So yeah, yeah, okay. you're right. I, I, re, I really want to refrain from saying that. You know, this, this is the way it's going to be. I mean, I, I just want to stick to the, to what I, I think something God perhaps showed me in, in study, and, you know, for people to, like you said, take it and, and, you know, be fed with it if, if it, if it's something that the Lord wants them to know about. But you know, I don't. I don't know if this is exactly how it's going to happen. I, I sure don't want to say that. You know, I just want to say, you know, this is something that I, I've seen and I wanted to get it out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you, David. I've got a lot of uh, different things that I see in Scripture, and I, you know, I tell people in my in my podcast, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I'm like file this away. You know, a yeah. lot of what I do is just kind of putting it out there because we don't know exactly. Like we know when prophecy is fulfilled. But it's kind of like looking at a mountain in the distance, you know. It's mm -hmm. like becomes clearer as you get there. So what I do is I just give people little tidbits of information. Follow this away. It might become more important as as time goes on, you know. And yeah. throw the bad out as it gets clearer, and keep the good. And we're all we're all trying. We're all making an effort to uh, to to get the gospel out and to get understanding so that people know, you know, hey, he, he's right at the door. So you know, that's that's just the way that I look at it. Right on. Um, yeah. 
to keep yeah, David, I, I really appreciate this, man. It was uh, it was great. It was great doing the interview with you. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to keep the stream of uh, conversation going with you guys. Great. Okay. Yeah, let's keep an op- open. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely certainly if you have any other developments or anything that that's on your heart, uh, contact me and we'll get we'll get right on it. We'll we'll no mat- yeah. no schedule, no nothing. We'll just get it right out there. Well, that's cool. You know, one topic we really didn't touch on a lot was. You know the, the dispensational view of Israel, and I don't know how where you guys stand on that how, as far as Daniel. No, I'm open to that because I that's yeah. that's one of the things that uh, that uh, that I really want to understand. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of yeah. We could just get into that. Yeah, I need. Mean, I, I got a lot I'm of questions. Maybe we should point. do this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually to the point now in my understanding that I'm to the point of saying that the seven years in Revelation is not necessarily the seven years of Daniel's 70th week. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I, in my first book, well, in my first book, I did definitely equate the two, but even since then, you know, three years later, I'm, I'm to the point now where, you know, I'm to the point where Israel is, you know, Israel was God's chosen people, but, you know, we, the church now, have have fulfilled those, a lot of those um Old Testament prophecies. I, so. I just believe everybody comes in through Christ, you know. And, absolutely. And there are going to be people that are bloodline, uh, you know, of the twelve tribes, but we're yeah. we're all the same family. And I have my questions <laughs> about the government that's set up in Israel and the Balfour Declaration and the fact right. that the beast actually set up Israel and the Knesset and all that. I just I feel like there's some kind of deception <laughs> going on there. Yeah, I mean, they're like Israel, Israel, yeah, Israel. I'm like, yeah, but the beast set up Israel. That might not Especially even be with Rockefeller going to right, right, but I think the uh, one thing is interesting is that I'm about to interview later on this week is a guy named Barry Hamish. Hamish, I guess you, that's how you say it. Right. But that, yeah, I've heard it. That clearly points out that the Sabbateans are at war and have always been at war with the religious Jews and are continuing to just, I mean, they, and, they, and they blame themselves in effect. All of the, quote, patriot community points to it like, look, it's the Jews, it's the Jews. When, yeah, I guess it is kind of, but they're but they're they are killing and doing everything they can to the actual religious Jews, which to me seems like Satan is continuing to persecute that the the as he does in Revelations 12. I mean, why why is Satan so very very much uh, persecuting the Jewish people? And if that's the case, you know, and it does seem like if if all the Christians go away. Um, you know, I mean, I know the one they'll eventually, you know, automatically be there. I don't know. Maybe I, I could be wrong about that, but it definitely seems like the persecution yeah. of the religious Jews is still alive and well. And why would Satan care? You know, if they weren't any important or just as, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you just you, yeah. you look at the uh, the history of of the people who are in this secret power of lawlessness and and what they what they wrote about it. And they, you know, it, it was like they they persecuted the Jews under under Hitler. And then there became this great wall of, you know, you're not allowed to say anything about the Jews or anything. It's, the, you know, you're, it's anti-Semitism. And then they set up the government in Israel, and nobody's allowed to say anything. And it's not like, I hate the Jews. I love my brothers and sisters, but I'm just trying to figure out who my brothers and sisters are. You know, we, we do know that, that Jesus talked about there's going to be some group of people who say they're Jews, but they're not. Now, I don't know. I don't want to point fingers at anybody, but I'm just trying to take all the information in, and I'm like, hmm. You know, the beast set this up. They got this thing. You're not allowed to speak anything about Israel or anything. But you know, I just I would love to do like some type of talk on this where we just get real. 
you know, and it's but you know, there's a lot of yeah, political yeah. correctness and yeah, and, and it's like it's like a hedge around it. You're not even allowed to speak about it, you know, or people just come out of the woodwork and will start attacking you. But I'm to the point where I just don't even care anymore. I just want to get to the truth. Yeah. What do you mean when you say the uh, the beast set up Israel? It, it seems like you know the world governments. You know, with the Balfour Declaration, uh, Britain okay. was involved in setting up. Uh, bringing Israel back, and and I could be totally wrong, but I just unless that God used them to set up Israel, I just feel uncomfortable with the fact that that's the prophecy fulfilled that Israel would become a nation again. Right. And and I realize that it could be that God could have been working through them. It does say that God directs the hearts of kings like a stream, um, but it just something just something in my spirit does not set right with the secular government mm-hmm. of Israel. I agree. Um, there's just something I can't put my finger on it, but this. Oh you know. no, they, yeah, definitely. They're definitely a part of this new world order system. They're trying to get the holy sites. It's obviously like we we're saying. You know, if the Antichrist is trying to build the temple, he's doing it for his own satanic reasons. Uh, yeah. It, and the same thing with Israel. But that doesn't mean that God's promises are, are null and void either. I think that in the same way, you know, people can point at Americans and say all Americans are you know bad because George Bush is obviously a part of the new world order. Yeah, um, yeah I see what you're saying. When it's it's, it's clearly not, and I think that. Um, there's so much misinformation about what people think they know about a lot of things that, you know, the, the what's going on in Israel. And until you really plug in the Sabbatean connection that they, the Jewish people had a false Messiah called Shebtite Z, that they, that they, that they are pretty much erased from history, that those people, when he converted them, and it's a long story, but these people literally uh, have a form of Judaism in that it's the opposite of Judaism. And everything in the yeah. Torah is the opposite. And, and they, <laughs> and it, it and so do not kill becomes kill and these are the people that are running ju- the, these are the people that are running this thing um, wow. the podcast on that Chris that's what I really I've never heard that before exactly this, this is like why it's, it's 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 like a psyop on top of a psyop it's misinformation on top of misinformation so we can't so it's hard to really and and so it, it's just a it's a long story but there's but, so much deception going on it's disgusting it's like you almost mm-hmm. get sick waiting through it all and and, and it's uh, it, it really yeah. it does it nauseates really you. Me. Yeah, it really does. You, it's it's get we're getting to the point where the basic thing is is that it's like it's like God allows you know the oppression to go on until His people cry out. The message is cry out to God. He, mm-hmm. he you know the beast has got control of the world, and you know it's my message to people is cry out physically use your voice. Cry out to the Lord because God is the – it's like Pharaoh. He allowed Pharaoh to become the most powerful man in the world so he could display his power and say, I can knock down the most powerful man in the world. And, yes. and this beast system is rising up, and it's got control of everything. And it's like God is the only one that can bring it down. And I think people aren't crying out to bring it down because they don't realize that they still have a love affair with the world. They're like, if we cry out to God to bring Babylon down, well, it's going to be painful. Because, you know, there's going to be a lot of, where are we going to get our food? And it's the same issue over and over again. It's like, you know, but we have to do it. We have to cry out to the Lord because he's the only one that could bring this down. And it is going to be painful, but we still got to do it. And I think, you know, that's what's keeping the masses of, of the believers in the body of Christ to, to crying out. Because God says, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it said the cries reached my ears. I'm going yes. down there to see what's going on. 
you know so this is what people yeah. have got to do we've got to cry out to the lord in our distress but people don't want to do it and it's like how do you wake people up and what does being woken up mean it means waking up and seeing things the way they are and and you know people just don't feel that sense of oppression it is going to have to get worse before people do it because they're too comfortable you yeah know? You, you mentioned sodom right yeah it also says there lot was daily vexed yeah the, of all the unrighteousness he saw yeah, he was distressed witches. in his spirit yeah that's the way i feel man I just, yeah i yeah. do too but it's it's you know it, it drives me crazy because you just speak to people and satan has used the language so much our language is polluted even the spiritual language you go up to people and you have to use the same words that these that these so-called fake super apostles as 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 paul said they've <laughs> used the language oh jesus loves you and you need to repent and all this stuff and you're using the same words but mm -hmm. since it's been it, it's been flavored they don't hear it they hear it with their other neural connection of like oh you're just like them and you're like you don't understand the words coming out of my mouth i'm different i mean it you know mm -hmm. and it's it's so frustrating it's like satan takes what's good and he pollutes it it's like a pavlov effect you know mm -hmm. and then when you go to bring the gospel to somebody it's been so perverted in people's eyes that you can't break through that and it's it's people yeah. are just it, it it's just oh man i could just go on and on it's so it's so terrible isn't, isn't that where you, you really just have to trust that the holy spirit is going to yeah. draw and open it has to be the holy spirit to. at this point yeah i mean it, you're not going to get anybody with your words if the if the lord doesn't pour out his spirit and you know crash into their darkness and make them you know see it and feel it it's like that's the realization that i came to i'm just speaking words that just fall on the ground if god <laughs> yeah. doesn't add some power to it it comes right out of my mouth right on the ground it's yes. crazy wow it's interesting man i feel the same way yeah it's it's tough i guess we better let chris get get started too because we'll be on here for a long time yeah again man i really appreciate it. i really enjoyed talking to you guys i'm gonna get your podcast david i've already got your podcast chris so okay do you have an email address david is it on your website yeah uh, i've got several but uh the i guess the easy one is david at earthquakeresurrection.com okay i'm also a dave dave w low at gmail.com but <clears throat> dave w low at gmail.com yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. I might I might put some of this uh this uh, extra discussion on the uh, end of, on the end of the thing if I can figure it out. If that's all right with you guys. Oh yeah. Did you uh, keep recording? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So all right. Awesome. That'll work. Cool. Well, I'll get yeah. I'll get to working on it and uh, I'll send you guys a copy when I get done. Yeah. Or thanks, I'll, Chris. I'll thanks, send you a link to it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Sounds good, man. All right. All right. All right. You guys have a good weekend. You too. Okay. You too. Enjoyed it. God bless. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. All right. Bye bye. Bye. -bye.